This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know that it was a unique day in hockey when the Detroit Red Wings beat the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime in Chicago and Hawks fans cheer it. Wild, right? What happened last night in Chicago? Patrick Kane providing the heroics. Um, Chris Chelios with the Jersey Retirement providing the emotion. Uh, and all of it wrapped up in a couple of different questions about the future of Patrick Kane coming out of it. Welcome back to the program as we bring in Mark Lazarus from The Athletic, who covers the Chicago Blackhawks, amongst other things, to the program. Uh, Mark, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. I'm great. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm going to go in the Wayback Machine here. Uh, it's rare that we see something the likes of which we saw yesterday. I want to get to Chelios, but first I want to focus on Kane. Um, Patrick Kane returns. He's a member of the Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, there was another famous moment back in 1975, November 2nd. Eddie Jockerman, who had been waived by the New York Rangers, ML the Cat Francis, legendary manager, uh, legendary goaltender himself, uh, felt that Jockerman's knees were shot, had to make room for, I believe, John Davidson. Uh, interestingly enough, would have been the goaltender that was replacing uh, Eddie Jockerman. So put him on waivers. Detroit claims him a week or maybe two weeks later. He's back at MSG, and the place is sobbing. Jockerman, during the national anthem, is sobbing. Grown men and women sobbing. It is a remarkable scene. They're booing the Rangers as they're trying to score on Jockman. That's how beloved he was. Um, that was the first thing that I thought of uh, when I saw Patrick Kane last night being cheered and celebrated by Blackhawks fans. What went through your mind? What were some of the emotions and thoughts that you had? It was just a really weird scene. Like you mentioned, the fact that a Detroit Red Wing was getting cheered so wildly in Chicago. I guess, A, that's a sign of how dead that rivalry is since the Red Wings uh, went off to the Eastern Conference 10 years ago. But uh, it, it just kind of made you wonder if the Blackhawks made the right move here. I mean, we're still having that discussion. We're, st- we're going to have that yeah. debate for years to come of whether they made the right decision. Do they have Connor Bedard? If they had kept Patrick Kane, if they had kept Alex to it, would they have been bad enough to get Bedard in the first place? I mean, it, it, it's tough to wonder what Bedard would look like with Patrick Kane and Alex to on his wings, isn't it? Uh, how much better he could be right now rather than playing with Philip Kurashev and Anthony Beauvillier or Nick Foligno. Uh, that was the thing that struck me is like mm-hmm. here you had the best player in franchise history in Patrick Kane, who was beloved in, in the city of Chicago. Uh, and you, yeah. you basically forced him out. They, they kind of kicked him to the curb. Like Kane has talked repeatedly about how he kept waiting for an offer that never came. The Blackhawks decided, Kyle Davidson mm-hmm. decided right or wrong, and time will tell on that, that they needed a clean slate for whatever was going to happen next. And, and, you know, even when you ask Kane now about coming back later, he's like, doesn't seem like they want me, right? So I, it, that's the thought that comes. It's like, why couldn't Patrick Kane have finished his career in Chicago the way it should have been? Do you think there's still a chance he could? You know, there's the old saying, even if you burn a bridge, sometimes they'll send a boat or a raft or something to bring you back. You know, after last night, I think a lot of people are having that conversation amongst, you know, their friends and having the internal dialogue about what if. Uh, I, I do wonder if the Blackhawks themselves are having that conversation. I mean, it would take a huge groundswell. And we've seen these types of things uh, before where fans literally force players onto teams. We've seen other times when that's been uh, when that's been resisted but do you think there's a chance that Kane could go back and the Blackhawks could reverse their decision I don't think that'll happen this summer I don't think that's what they want you know the Blackhawks are basically playing for these next two years to be kind of continually awful as they continue to build this uh, thing up and then they're not going to start spending for another couple of years I do expect Kane to re-sign with mm-hmm. Detroit he seems very happy there he likes playing with the Brinkett uh, it, it's a good spot for him it's close to his family uh, but it, it's certainly plausible that a 41-year-old Patrick Kane signs one last year to come, kind of like you know, Patrick Marlowe went back to San Jose, a, a situation like that, sure, where they bring him back for one kind of last glory year. And Kane's the kind of player, if 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 this surgically repaired hip holds up, and it certainly seems to be doing well right now, uh, there's no reason to think yeah. he can't play several more years. I mean, he looks like his old self right now, so it's entirely plausible that he comes back at at a, at a wizened See- old age. Do, do you think that this was a, a, a one-night only, that the fans treat Patrick Kane like this only the first time that he comes back? Or do you think, and I, I do wonder how the organization would feel about this, that this is the way Hawks fans behave every time Patrick Kane is in the building? 
Well, that's the situation you set up when you're not trying to win, right? When you're when 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 winning isn't a priority, it allows fans to just root for whatever they want to root for. And Patrick Kane scoring the overtime winner in his first game back with the United Center was just too good for anyone to pass yeah. up. I don't think it'll be this over the top. There won't be a 90 second ovation. He won't get a tribute video every first media timeout of every time he comes back. But he's only going to be here once a year if he's in the Eastern Conference, right? He's only going to be here once in a while. It's correct, still going to correct. be a big deal when Patrick Kane comes back to Chicago. And it's always going to be a big deal because, you know, everything he accomplished in 16 seasons here, the three Stanley Cups, the MVP, the Calder, the Conn Smythe, uh, yeah. all the all the Showtime memories, that that's not going away. Okay, I want to get back to the uh, the 2024 Hawks here in a couple of seconds, but I want to park some time and talk about Chris Chelios. Uh, personally, he's my favorite U.S.-born player ever. I know that Patrick Kane, when he retires, will grab that. Maybe he already has, and maybe Austin Matthews takes it from everybody one day as the greatest U.S.-born player uh, of all time. He's certainly trending in that direction. I just love Chelios. I love the way that he played, the way that... Um, well, I'll be honest with you, Mark. I love players that they have to drag off the ice. Like, I love the fact that Peter Forsberg kept going from boot to boot to boot to boot to try to find one that fit. It was like a glass slipper, <laughs> you know, like, this doesn't fit. Okay, try another one. This doesn't fit. Try another one. This Like, I love that about Peter Forsberg, and I love the fact that as long as there was going to be a spot somewhere for Chris Chelios, he was always going to play hockey. I adored him as a player. Uh, your thoughts on Chris Chelios, the player. I mean, you can't even just say Chris Chelios, the player. I mean, he was a larger-than-life personality uh, as well. Just your, your thoughts on how everything went last night um, with him, you know, not being able to say Detroit, <laughs> which was kind of funny too, um, or Red Wings, um, to, you know, all the people that he, that he mentioned. And, you know, we've, we've noted a couple of different places how nice it was to hear Bob Probert's name. Just your thoughts on what we heard and saw yesterday from Chris Chelios. Yeah, different time back then. He talked about how when uh, he got traded to Detroit, he could Detroit didn't want him, and Chicago disavowed him, and he didn't know where he could live because he yeah. was hated in both cities. That's how different it <laughs> here is Patrick Kane getting cheered. He signed. He chose to go to the Detroit, yeah. and he's being beloved. Um, yeah. he, he is a unique. He's a kind of a singular player in NHL history. Just this, not just his style of play, but his whole personality. Right? You know the 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 work yeah. ethic. He he started the you know kind of really started the phenomenon of guys working out in their off seasons with special trainers, and he did that in California. Uh, you know, the, the, all the tales of him doing push-ups and biking in the sauna uh, and, and just the, the the lifestyle he led. I mean, this is a guy who played as hard as he as he as he worked. And look at all the celebrities that were at the game last night. It wasn't just hockey royalty like Wayne Gretzky and some of these great Blackhawks and Mark Messier. It was John McEnroe and John C. McGinley and Cindy Crawford. And just it was just celebrity. Yeah. It was like it was like a Lakers game in the 80s. It was just incredible. All these people that came. And uh, he's just this larger than life figure who he's everything you want him to be. Everything you, you know, when you grow up, I grew up in the, in the 80s and 90s. And Chris Chelios was like this larger than life figure, right? And then you actually meet him and, oh my God, he's larger than you even knew. He's just this huge personality, he played the game in a way that would get him arrested now, you know, let alone, you know, he played 40 <laughs> minutes a game and he'd spend 40 minutes in the penalty box now. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he's a, he's a relic of a different time. And I think a lot of people, that was, that was the hockey they loved growing up. So, I mean, Chelios kind of embodies all of it. Yeah. Uh, T.R. Goodman. Uh, I had to look it up. I was drawing yep. a blank there. T.R. Goodman was a trainer had, had that you're thinking the of the one in, in Los Angeles that were. It was great, right? Yeah. It was like, but by the way, it felt like everybody he had ever met was on the stage with him, like one after the other. It was like, you know, the, the Royal Rumble and the WB, here comes another one. Every third, it was, it was remarkable. It was, it was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun to hear. You know, I, uh, I remembered a story that Mike Keenan told me about the Denny Savard trade, about how after they made the deal, um, Serge Savard called Mike Keenan and said, hey, my owner needs something coming back as well. Like this, this is this, you know, I know we've, we, the, the deal's already been made, uh, but can we, you know, can, can you send something my way to calm my owner down? And Keenan told him, said, look, somewhere down the road here, I'm going to send you sort of a phantom second round pick and another deal. Uh, and then Keenan said, but I got fired before I was ever able to consummate that deal. So, Technically, the Montreal Canadiens are still owed a second-round draft pick as per an agreement between Mike Keenan and Serge Savard back in 1990. I don't know how you even go about trying to collect on that, but it just seemed like there are so many great stories that followed Chris Chelios around wherever he went. 
you know, and a lot of it is because I think, you know, he lived his life quite publicly in hockey. You know, there was uh, an unfortunate time in the lockout in 94, 95. I said some comments about uh, the commissioner that I'm sure he'd like to take back. Um, but nonetheless, like everywhere Chelios went, there were stories and there were incidents and there was like he was, you know, not just on the pages of, you know, the hockey news. He was on the pages. Of, he jumped off and was part of, you know, sports pop culture, Mark. He, he said yesterday that the day before that trade, the night before that trade to Chicago, he was in jail for a street fight he got into. It's just, this is what Chris Jelly is. He's just out, out roaming the streets picking fights. It's it's totally plausible. You can totally see Chris Jelly. I was just out in the street picking fights after yeah. a good night at the bar. Um, I, I always wonder, let, let's um, uh, circle back here to, to this year's edition of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I know that the presence of Connor Bedard, you know, sort of gives the Blackhawks uh, a little bit more time until the fans start saying, okay, when is this going to turn around? Um, but you look at what the Montreal Canadiens are going through and, you know, they've turned that thing down to, to the Suzuki's and the Caulfield's and then everything else around them. Um, and I think we do wonder at what point the fans start to get impatient in Montreal. Uh, do you get a sense of, you know, where Chicago fans are at with the rebuild? Are they starting to get a little bit restless? Uh, fans always say that they've signed up for this and they know the score and it's fine. But the follow-up question should always be, okay, but will you still buy tickets, even though you say you're fine with the rebuild? Do you get a sense of how Hawks fans are handling all of this? They're okay right now because Bedard, because Bedard brings such excitement. He's worth the price of admission right now. Yeah. But the thing about this Blackhawks lockout is it, or lockout, rebuild, is that it comes after five <laughs> years of kind of walking in the wilderness already, right? Like it's been, you know, nobody feels any sympathy for Chicago fans, but it's been nine years since they last won a cup. It's been seven years since they last even made the playoffs. So it's not like they tore it down when things were good. They tore it down four or five years later than they probably should have. So there's a lot of, the, the, the impatience is growing, but... Uh, Everyone understands the deal. They know that how many draft picks they have. They know guys like Oliver Moore and Frank Nazar are coming. Kevin Korczynski is already here. Alex yep. Vlasic has been a revelation this year. They got two first-round picks this year. Mm-hmm. They got two first-round picks next year. Everyone understands the deal, but Kyle Davidson's talking about, you know, probably four or five years down the road before this team's even, like, mildly competitive the way he's building this team. I don't know how much patience Chicago is going to have for that. We saw attendance dip a little bit last year. It's come right back up this year because of Bedard. And I wonder how long that's going to last. How long will Connor Bedard be enough? Because the Blackhawks are in no rush. They're not spending any money for the next two summers. They're in no rush to start beefing up this yeah. team. So we're going to find out just how big of a drawing card Bedard is. Well, he is fun, like flat out, like yeah, Chicago's is. destination programming. And I'm and I'm with you on Alex Vlasic. I know I go on a lot about him on the uh, on the program here on an almost daily basis. But holy smokes, the Blackhawks have a good one there on the back end, and the size and the skill. Uh, that's real great. Uh, listen, great night yesterday in Chicago. Uh, really weird. I mean, I didn't think we'd ever see anything like we saw in '75 with Eddie Jockerman, but there it was with uh, Patrick Kane. Uh, scoring the overtime winner for the Detroit Red Wings and the fans in Chicago cheering. Just stay alive, folks, and you'll see some weird things. Just stay alive. Mark, thanks as always for stopping by. We'll we'll catch up down the road soon, my friend. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic covers the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Chris Chelios' jersey retirement uh, yesterday went off great. Um, and also Patrick Kane steals the show and leads people to wonder, hmm, do you think there's a chance that Patrick Kane could go back. Now, Laz doesn't necessarily think so. He thinks he's going to stay with the Detroit Red Wings and maybe somewhere down the road, once the rebuild starts to officially end, the Blackhawks have decided they have had enough of prospects and picks, and it's time to move from the green bananas to the yellow bananas. But maybe somewhere down the road. There is a reuniting of Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks. We shall see what happens there. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Today, we're having a look at, like, there's four games on the go around the NHL this evening, having a look at the Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Now, not exactly a secret. These two teams do not like each other at all. 
Um, this will be a rematch of what we've seen in the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs for a couple of seasons. And this is, uh, in a lot of ways, should and should be, one of the marquee matchups um, of the evening. Now, L.A. has played much better of late. Quentin Byfield has been a recent revelation. Actually, I make the argument he's been a revelation all season for the Los Angeles Kings. Meanwhile, for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, what did that 16 games mean? What did that 16 games say to you about where the Oilers are at with their rebuild? Or with their position in the Western Conference? And where are the holes? You know, there's a few people around the organization that show that and say that the Vegas game showed exactly what the Edmonton Oilers need. Goaltending, defense, and one forward. Can they get that done? A lot of runway between now and March 8th for Ken Holland to get to work. And they will have about a million dollars in cap space to play with by the time the trade deadline rolls around. As line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local Kings and the Oilers tonight. Colby Armstrong is next from Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Back in a moment across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Colby Armstrong standing by here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about tonight's matchup, amongst other things with Colby. The matchup that you will see on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. The Ottawa Senators facing off against the Washington Capitals. It's one of four games on the board around the NHL tonight. Also, the Islanders face off against the Dallas Stars. I think one of the things we're wondering about Dallas, just as an aside here, could they be looking for not one but two defensemen? Could they be looking for an entire second pairing D? And could that second pairing D be Nick Sealer and Sean Walker of the Philadelphia Flyers? One of the things that I reported in my notes this weekend that Elliot absconded like a thief on Saturday on headlines um, is there have been two teams that have approached the uh, Philadelphia Flyers about acquiring both Walker and Sealer as a pair. I wondered about Toronto. I wondered about Tampa. And as we talked about on the podcast that came out this morning, both Elliot and I wonder about the Dallas Stars. And could that be them? Dallas very much believes, and rightfully so, that they have the horses to win the Stanley Cup. We certainly expect Jim Null to make some tweaks along the way up until a trade deadline of March 8th. But could it be not one but two new defensemen on that blue line? Uh, Islanders facing off against the uh, the Dallas Stars. Islanders, by the way, I always try to go out of my way to, to to point this out because I really do think it's one of the freaks of the NHL or one of the quirks or one of the most revealing things about a team. You know, Elliot, you hear, always hear Elliot go on about you are what your record says you are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what does this record say about the Islanders? To me, they have the most intriguing record <laughs> entire NHL. 23, 20, and 14. Go make sense of that and come back. I'll wait. 23, 20, and 14. The New York Islanders, baby. Facing off against the Dallas Stars tonight. I mentioned the Los Angeles Kings facing off against the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton coming off a disappointing loss at the hands of the Calgary Flames in the Battle of Alberta. And legit, that was the Battle of Alberta. You know, previous times we've seen the skirmish of Alberta. Right? Not sure we want to call that one a battle, but for marketing purposes, it just fits. We'll call it the Battle of Alberta and hope that something happens. Well, a lot of things happened on Saturday night. And who had the combination of Matthias Janmark and Blake Coleman is having one of the better fights that we've seen all season? Not me. Hey, put your hand down. You did not say that. Stop it. Not you either. But there it was. Who knew that Janmark could fight like that? Blake Coleman didn't. Um, so that was unexpected. What was expected was, you know, Evander Kane to cross-check on Nazib Kadri. No love lost there. Expected that one. Uh, Mackenzie Weger and Corey Perry getting into it. No surprise there. These two teams getting heated. No surprise there. That one was a legit 
Battle of Alberta. And I'll tell you what, we've talked a lot about the Oilers this year, rightfully so, good and bad. We know the start of the season, we know about the 16-game winning streak. But um, I got to really hand it to the Calgary Flames, and I think we all do. Despite the fact that we all know what Craig Conroy is going through, general manager of the Calgary Flames, and what he has on the horizon and what he wants to do, and namely the conversations that he's had about various players, and they all know about it, right? There are no secrets. Everybody knows what's happening here with the Calgary Flames, and everybody knows the decisions that um, that Craig Conroy has to make with Tanifin and with Tanif, and maybe, maybe, maybe with Jacob Markstrom. Yet through all of it, this team's playing hard. This team is competing, and this team's now won three games in a row. And this team's in a conversation for the playoffs. And to Elliot's point, do you want to face them in the first round if they decide to keep Hannafin, if they decide to keep Tanev, and if they don't make a deal for Jacob Markstrom? By the way, Derek Wells, our good friend from uh, 960, tweeting this one out, Andre Kuzmenko appears to be the odd man out at Flames practice. Probably tough to make changes following a big win in the Battle of Alberta on Saturday. That is true. Uh, also, the NHL coming out. And yes, so like, look, hand it to the Calgary Flames. We all know the team's getting, oh, changed, maybe we should say, massaged, uh, give it a soft landing. Yeah, through all of it, the team is playing hard. And you got to give kudos for that. Uh, NHL three stars of the week. Kirill Kaprizov is star number one. Minnesota's back in the mix here, folks. Minnesota, I don't know if they get there, but Minnesota's back in the mix. It's going to be a really intriguing, you know, sprint both to and after the trade deadline for a lot of teams here. If they can all still stay in the mix for one of those wildcard spots, and Minnesota's very much one of them. Kirill Kaprizov, four games played, 12 points. Six goals, six assists. Just one of the most skilled players in the NHL, full stop. Uh, Mitch Marner, 10 points in four games. Toronto Maple Leafs, your second star of the week. And he's back like a vertebrae, baby. <laughs> Igor Shosturkin of the uh, New York Rangers, posting a 3-0 record last week. Uh, those are your NHL three stars for the week, ending February the 25th. And uh, another quick injury note, uh, TJ Oshie is uh, on IR out week to week. He's so close to a thousand games. He's so close to a thousand games. What TJ Oshi at here? TJ Oshi is at dun, 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 9.96, four games away from a thousand, and he's hurt. So the pause for a thousand games continues. Oh, he's just such a good player, too. And oh, he's always been so much fun to watch. And he's one of those guys you cheer for, one of those guys you hope gets to that mark sooner than later. But uh, considered week to week now, uh, those Washington Capitals without TJ Oshie um, in action tonight at Rogers Monday Night Hockey as they face off against the Ottawa Senators. Um, also tonight, the Boston Bruins face off against the Seattle Kraken. This one is your uh, nightcap game, the last game on a four-game schedule. This one to me is really intriguing for the Seattle Kraken. So uh, on this home stands, four games. Uh, they beat the Vancouver Canucks 5-2. That was impressive. Uh, they lose to the Minnesota Wild 5-2. That was not. And so now these remaining two games, you know, might just determine whether Seattle is in or Seattle is out. Uh, the Bruins are always a tough out. Thank you very much. Thrilling game, by the way, against the Vancouver Canucks. And good on Vancouver on that one. Uh, but Seattle Kraken in action tonight facing off against the Boston Bruins. Uh, they're real close to tuck and tail and calling it a season if they lose to the Bruins and if they lose to the Pittsburgh Penguins this week. A lot is resting on the uh, on the Seattle Kraken. So those are your games this evening uh, around the NHL. Before we bring uh, Colby Armstrong on here, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Matt Rempe. Now, Matt Rempe has had a really interesting week. Now, if you don't know who Matt Rempe is, he's the he's the Giants that the New York Rangers uh, have in the lineup now, as if the, the as if you need more storylines around the New York Rangers, right? So Matt Rempe gets uh, called up for the stadium series game against the Islanders, and Rempe, who stands six foot eight from Calgary, 
you know, is makes his uh, NHL debut in an outdoor game that hasn't happened before. Fights Matt Martin before he registers a single second TOI time on ice that hasn't happened before either. Well, no, that's actually not true. We think about uh, we think about Vancouver and Calgary and that brawl. I know Vancouver fans are going to get all over me. So it has happened once. That is the second time. And then Matt Rempe has proceeded to make headlines every single game he's been in. You know, the game against the New Jersey Devils where he runs over Nathan Bastion, uh, the game against the Philadelphia Flyers where he scores a game winner and has a spirited one with Nick DeLaurier. And then uh, he fights last night in the game against Columbus with a 10-game win streak came to an end fighting Matthew Olivier, who Matt Rempe just found out is very, very tough, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't get a lot of headlines, but uh, Olivier is legit tough. Nonetheless, what a way to make your debut. One goal, one assist, and you're going cowboy style, old school style, 80s, 90s style, just going gauntlet, trying to take on every team's tough guy. Don't know that's a recipe for success in the NHL right now, or you should be following that sort of Ty Domi vibe from many years ago, but Matt Rempe, everybody knows your name now. We'll see if Colby Armstrong agrees. Uh, He's part of the panel tonight's Rogers Monday Night Hockey. It is the Washington Capitals facing off against the Ottawa Senators, Spitting Chicklets Game Notes, uh, part of the Chicklets Podcast, the one that I listened to on the weekend with the interview with Peter Mansbridge. He's everywhere. He's Colby Armstrong, and he joins me now to tell me why, even though I'm a Canadian, I need to visit the United States. Hello, Colby. (laughs) What's up, buddy? How you doing? Good to be on with you. You're the best. Yeah, Rempy's a beast. (laughs) <laughs> okay okay so listen like is is there not this like 1970s 80s vibe about you know when the young gunslinger gets called up he go, he you know he has to test everybody out and on every single team or maybe rather we should put it everybody on other every other team has the has the need to test him out you know whether it's matt martin whether it's uh, matthew olivier as we saw yesterday maybe it's nick delorier yeah. in the game against the philadelphia flyers like give us some context because we haven't seen this in a long no. time in the nhl kid gets called up and he wants to take on everybody colbs i know i love it i love this kid you know why i love it and people can say okay uh we don't need fighting in our game anymore okay whatever he's <laughs> whatever He's he's come into the NHL and he's and he's totally take, done a, he hasn't dipped his toe in the water. He came running in and yelled oh, cannonball. No. Yeah. And I love it. I I love that he's doing this. I we have so many guys and Jeff, what do we call them? A jag. Just another guy. There's so many guys yeah. that are all the exact same and this is going to be the issue too. And my kid's 13 and he plays hockey and I see it. Everyone's the same. Everyone trains the same. Everyone does the same. Everyone thinks they're the same guy. They're all half wall guys. I get it. And then we got this kid six, eight that come in and is totally embracing. You know what? I'm going to come in here and I'm going to not dip my toe in. I'm going to come in and make my presence felt and I'm going to be this guy and I'm going to make uh, a name for myself and I'm going to write my own ticket and I want to stay in the NHL and I'm having the best time doing this. And I love this about him. I love it. I'm tired of seeing the same old guys come in and do it. And also Jeff, in this time, everyone's going, Oh, he didn't beat up that guy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's showing so up. What? He's getting the job done. He's smashing bodies. He grabs Ziegenthaler, smashes him. He doesn't care. Gets a goal, a game winner. Gets an assist last game while getting his face punched in by Olivier. I don't care. And guess what? He's going to play him again on Wednesday. On Wednesday, a rematch. Rangers against Columbus. And you don't think he's going to be ready to go? I guarantee he'll be ready to go for another round with that guy. And he's not going to back down. And I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome to see for our game. You know how many, and to your point, how many other guys in the league that are so hungry for fights to find a fight, they can't get a fight? Like that none of that's in our game anymore. Well, now they've got this guy coming on the scene and they're like, thank God. So it's like revived that part of the game completely again, which I think is pretty entertaining. Yeah, there there is a question, though, about like at what point does Peter Laviolette have to say like, okay, message sent, you can't do this every night. Like Colby, like listen, you 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 were part of your fair share of fights well, in the NHL and the Western Hockey League as well. But like, you, you, like, like, kid, you can't do this every night. Like, there's a there's a shelf life for everybody, and there's certainly a shelf life for someone who wants to do this every night, Colby. Yeah, well, he's gonna have to figure it out. He's not gonna have a fight every night. Like, 
a lot of teams don't have these guys, you know, so he's, he's going to figure it out. He's going to get his opportunity, whether it's with physicality. And he said, I just want to come in and get his post game um, interview after the other night was awesome with Emily Kaplan on ESPN. Like, I just want to come in. Yeah, I want to really bring good. energy. I want to bring energy. I want to get in. I want to play the body. I want to get to the front of the net and, you know, like, that's his attitude. That's where he knows he's going to be effective. That's where he knows he's going to fit in. I think he's given the Rangers a ton of confidence and energy. Like they've given him that Broadway hat in the dressing room after the game a couple times already. And it's by no yeah. coincidence. It's because yeah. of like what he is to their team. I think he's going to figure it out. I don't think he can fight wide open like that all the time against some of these guys. Like Olivier oh, no. did a pretty good number oh, on him. Like there's no question. He's going to have to figure it out. But just a few years ago, Jeff, Wade out. My brother sent me a clip of Wade Allison tap dancing on him a little bit at a rookie camp in like Traverse City, wherever they go. I don't know what it was. Just a few years ago, he was like Bambi yeah. out there. So to to see where he is and where he's come into and his confidence and what he's worked towards and like his body of work and and how he handles himself now comparatively, to this clip I just saw was like uh, a night and day. So. He's coming in. He means business. He wants to stay there. He's carving himself out a, a really good spot, and he's making a name for himself. Everyone's talking about him. He's on the cover of uh, paper, the paper in New York City. Are you kidding me? It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, I know. Well, let's just see what's on the Rangers' calendar. As Colby Armstrong mentions, big game coming up against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and then, uh-oh, hockey night in Canada Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> it's going to be Remo. <laughs> We got something for you. All right. (laughs) Candy in the penalty box that night. There'll be candy in the penalty box that night for sure. All right. Uh, Okay. So, you don't think Revo's excited? Revo's so excited, Jeff. Sorry to cut you off. Revo, he's going to be waiting for that one. He can't wait. Red meat and protein shakes. Red meat and protein shakes. Get to Saturday. Get to Saturday. Um, okay, so a, a couple of things here. Now, I want to get to tonight's matchup between Ottawa and Washington. We'll watch that one tonight at Rogers Monday Night Hockey. But before I get there, um, I've had a chance to interview Peter Mansbridge a couple of different times. And driving around, doing chores on the weekend, I listened to the Chicklets uh, podcast with Peter Mansbridge. Uh, I listen to his podcast, The Bridge, every day. Like when I'm, this is, this is a peek into my routine. Like when I'm done this show every day, I go and I work out and I listen to Man's Bridges uh, podcast uh, every day. So I'm a huge fan, always have been, had a chance to, to work in the same office as him for, uh, for a couple of years, got to know him a little bit, just a delightful guy, um, huge hockey fan. He would always, one of the biggest thrills, Cole, that I ever had in my career when I was working at CBC and I would do mornings on Heather Hiscox's show, uh, every now and then, you know, walk through the hallways and you walk by Mansbridge's office and he's got this, or yeah, he used to have this huge poster of Joe Thornton. And him and Joe Thornton are yeah. buddies, used to have this huge poster and it was always the big thrill. And I remember you had this experience with Jean Beliveau and this is how I felt in my industry. Every now and then he'd sort of give you the wave, like, come in here, Jeff, come in here. And every couple of times, a couple of times <laughs> yeah. I went in and he just wanted to talk hockey for a few minutes and just, you know, throw it around and talk about things that he's curious about or observations that he had made. Like, okay, I got to get back to, to writing the national. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by. You had a similar experience when you were in Montreal. You told me it was Jean Beliveau and I want to get to that in a second. But first, I thought it was so cool, Colbs, listening to you talk to Mansbridge yeah. on the podcast. I was so proud of you. What were your takeaways from talking to him? Uh, well, first of all, like, and, and, you know, like talking to interviewing hockey players, it's like, you know, we ask about hockey and stuff and, and maybe it's just cause we're in the world and in that circle that it, it's, it's just is yeah. what it is, but interviewing and talking to a guy that's, you know, kind of been everywhere in totally different, yeah. like his, his life is just, I have so many questions about his life. And I pro- we probably could have interviewed him sure. for so much longer. It was amazing he graced us with as much time as he did. And um, But uh, it was cool to see when he was explaining and telling us stuff. But then when we get back to the hockey talk, how much he lit up. And I know exactly what you're saying when he just oh, yeah. wanted to talk hockey with you because he, he loved it. And if I, you know, I think people should listen to that interview. It's pretty cool. And it's cool sitting next to him and, like, he's talking. And he has his voice and his cadence of, of – of speech when he talks to is just so like soothing and relaxing. And maybe it just takes you back to like being a kid and, you know, having that on in the house or in the background or just that sound. He has it. He just has that. So it was like, it was so cool. And, and, and some of the stuff he shared about his, 
experiences, you know, covering, you know, all these major worldly events um, and some of the da- more dangerous places he's been and, and some of the things that he's been able to see is, is pretty amazing. So my life sucks compared to that. And it, it was really cool to, you know, hear. <laughs> it was so cool to hear, like, his story and, like, his yeah. origin story, where he's from, how he came here to, like, how he now loves hockey, too. And inside all of that was really great. Great guy. Yeah. Good. Listen, bud. Great podcast. That was that was such a great listen. Now, um, you know, my experience in broadcasting, you know, the great thrill of being, being called summoned into Mansbridge's office to talk about hockey. Yeah. Uh, I love uh, I loved hearing your story when you were playing with Montreal. I think you're like walking down the, those cobblestone streets in old Montreal and, and John Beliveau summoned you in to the restaurant yeah. where he was holding court. Can you share that story? Yeah, it was actually not even that cool. It was I went to like a little strip mall near the area I lived on, which was out by the practice rink in Montreal. And I had to, we were leaving on a road trip and it was after practice. And I went to go get, I had a belt that like some of the leather was ripping on the one. I don't know. I took it to like a shoe repair shop in this thing. I Googled it. (laughs) I went there and this strip mall wasn't very nice. It was like an old rundown little strip mall. And then there was like a diner at the one end. And I was just wasting time while my belt was getting fixed and walked around. And I saw John Beliveau in there. At at first I was like, is that John Beliveau? What the hell is he doing here? And then I turned around and I came back and one of his friends came out and said, are you Colby Armstrong? I said, yeah. He goes, Mr. And Mrs. Beliveau would like you to join them for pancakes. And I was like, you gotta be kidding oh, me. Wow. So I, I, yeah. So I went and sat <laughs> down with them and I had pancakes. I was there for like an hour. I was like pretty close to probably missing the flight and the trip. And I got home and I quickly yeah. packed up my bag while I was telling my wife what just happened. It was, it was, a, it was one of those things, you know, it was just the right place at the right time kind of thing. But yeah, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome moment. It, it used to be when I used to do ringside for hockey night back in like 08, 09, 2010, uh, whenever I do Montreal games um, and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beliveau, Madame Beliveau would, would walk out after the first intermission, you know, I'd be standing there in the Habs hallway to, to interview whomever. I remember the first time, uh, who was I standing to interview? Andre Markov and was waiting for Markov to show up and, you know, the presence and the voice oh, of yeah. Jean Beliveau. I remember the first time he walked by and he said, salut, Jeff. And I went, I could just like, yeah, I know you can't talk. I was kind of like, holy smoke, I was kind of like that. Like, and you're, you're right. Like the presence of John Beliveau is crazy. And, and I, I, I can talk to a lot of people, but just like the guys that like John Beliveau. And then like when I'm in Pittsburgh and I see Mario and as crazy as it is, like I talk to him and I know, I know him, but like, I still can't, I it's still like, I'm still like, Oh my God, there's, there he is. Wow, look at him. And yeah, uh, you can't, it's hard to approach, hard to say anything. It's just such a strange feeling. But yeah, those guys have it. Let me ask you about the pens. Like, that was a wild game yesterday. Like, I love, like, it was ripped out oh. of the pages of 1987. <laughs> it was a flyer. First yeah. of all, it's a, you know, it's Keystone State rivalry and it's the Penguins and the Flyers and it's great and it's last shot wins. And at the end of all of it, like, I, I know, I know everyone always asks you about Crosby <laughs> and here I go again asking you about Crosby. But, like, we've seen some great performances out of Crosby before. And it wasn't just last night's game. It wasn't just, you know, the 7-6 and Crosby with one goal and three helpers. It's like Sidney Crosby is trying to will this team into the playoffs. Like, I look at the Hart Trophy race. Like, here's how I look at the Hart Trophy race, race, Colbs. There's three types of players, maybe four, that are vying for the Hart Trophy in my mind. Uh, one, and this depends on how you feel about goaltenders in the Hart Trophy, but I think you can make a case for Connor Hellebuck. And then yeah. there are players like Nikita Kucherov and Nathan McKinnon who are saying, we deserve the Hart Trophy because we're just going to pile up a ton of points here and try to outpace everybody else, and that's why we should win the Hart Trophy. And then there's Austin Matthews who's saying, hold on a second here. I'm going to score between 70 and 75 goals. And I might be the best player in the world right now. And then there's Sidney Crosby, who's, you know, maybe by the classic definition of the trophy is best suited for the trophy because he's taken this team on his back and saying, whatever it takes, we're getting to the playoffs. So I look at it for the Hart Trophy. And again, for all the voters, it's going to come down to how you personally feel and value either goaltender for the Hart Trophy Guys who just pile up a ton of points, guys who uh, scores an ungodly amount of goals, getting into the 70s, which we haven't seen since forever, 
or the guy who's saying, I'm dragging this team into the postseason. So yeah. to me, there's four categories for the Hart Trophy. Crosby might just be the most impressive. Your thoughts on what we're seeing from 87 right now? Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and it, you know, I'm around it and I get to see it. I get to see like his game in, game out every game. And, and you know, he really yeah. is willing his team. He really is the guy. He is doing that. And, I, you know, you think back to like, you don't have to go too far back even to like Taylor Hall in New Jersey when they got into the playoffs and he had that amazing year where he was like a major factor. Right. And, and Sid's Sid's doing that yeah. for his team right now, just because of where they're at. If, if they make the playoffs being what nine points out before last game and have been on the outside looking in for a long time and probably a lot of people have them counted out and I can see why, but if, if they can find yeah. a way and get there, a lot of it will be on the back of him. He, he's, he's carried this team the entire way. Every single game he's been there. Every game they need a goal, he's the guy that gets it done. Um, he's never once in his career also, Jeff, uh, never once had more goals and assists. And right now he does. Uh, he's just been so mm-hmm. impactful. Not only he's goal, scoring goals, he's like been so good 200-foot player as well. So it's just like, you know, for him and, and his game, and, and you talk about that award and what he's doing for his team this year individually is just, you know, it's exactly mm-hmm. what the award is. So I think you're right, though. I think you're right. I think it's those four categories, and, you know, the voters have to have to pick. But I think Sid, I think the Penguins have to make the playoffs for him to be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, what did you think when you saw the uh, the face-off shot with his hand, uh, his, yeah. his, his bottom hand on the stick on backwards like he's drawing it back and he sizzles one uh, at the Philadelphia net? Like, you've seen tons of Crosby stuff, but, like, did you look at that and go, like, oh, yeah, that's just Sid, or, like, holy smoke, Sid, what are you doing? That's amazing. Yeah, that's a new one. I haven't seen him do that one. I've done that one, like, messing around in practice <laughs> or, like, by accident just because it happened because I'm a sloppy mess. Yeah. But uh, he did it on purpose and, <laughs> and ripped it. Yeah, that's the difference. That's the difference of him and most guys. But, uh, yeah, just pretty impressive. Yeah. Like, how about his one-handed pass to Raquel, too? Like, he doesn't he doesn't have – he has Mark Stahl draped all over him. He sheds him in the corner, and then yeah. he passes it with one hand, and he doesn't just, like – Fluff it or throw it over to him. He he puts a zip on it on one-handed pass, leading him just missing the back end of the net to his forehand, so he can just step out. It's virtually on a tee for him to go shelf on that one, and he scores. But like just every little thing about him, and that's the coolest thing about getting to watch him. Jeff is like a puck rimmed around the boards. It's on the yellow, and he just backhand passes it right from there when it's spinning around the boards hard and it's <laughs> snap tape to tape. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't miss anything. It's, it's amazing. Just like the little things inside his game, every single game, what he yeah. does. So it's, it's been awesome to watch this here. Mark Savard used to do that. And I used to just marvel at it. Like what you're talking about, yeah. about with, with, with hard rims and just like, yeah, no problem. Zip around, fire a pass. And with Savard, it'll always be with sauce. Cause I don't think he ever threw a pass flat. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's just like one of the, one of those skills, one of those skills you look at like, what did I just see? Like, it's incredible. Um, okay. Tonight, Washington and Ottawa Rogers, Monday night hockey. This is uh, this is the matchup. Um, I want to ask you about Anthony Mantha and I'm always curious, you know, how the players react. Like we know that Nick cousins is not the most popular player around the NHL. A lot of guys don't like how he quote unquote runs around. Well, Mantha got him finally. And, and like Mantha like dominated that fight. Like that's, you know, a lot of players around the NHL probably looked at that one and said like, yeah, you know what? Finally, someone got him. Um, we know that that Mantha and the Washington Capitals are probably headed for a trade deadline divorce. He's got 18 goals this year. Uh, he finally got Nick Cousins. Someone did. Um, and I, I just, I just wonder like how much does that resonate around the NHL amongst players? Like how much would the guys talk about, Hey, did you see Mantha finally get cousins? Someone finally got him. Yeah. I'm sure there's some guys that cousins has gotten to that are like, yeah, he finally got it. He finally got it. Cause man, I think it takes a lot to get Anthony Mantha upset too. just watching his game. And, and I know he's huge. But I think it takes a lot to get him to that moment where he he actually snapped, right? He actually snapped and grabbed he did. Cousins and he did. just beat the wheels yeah. off him. Um, so I think there's a lot of guys kind of rooting for him in that situation. That's just kind of the player that Cousins is. And, um, 
but yeah, he's having a good year. He's having a good year right now. And, um, you know, I think he's confident in his game and, and probably knows, you know, what's on the horizon for him right now. But, you know, I think that just adds, adds to it. You don't think there's teams out there that see him. And I think there's teams that have always looked at him and just kind of are teams that he's played on that have kind of wanted more. Right. He, he, he looks good. Like yeah. he has all the tools can he throw it together? But at the end of the at end of most games, he's like, ah, God, you know, Anthony Manta just leaves, leaves you wanting a lot more. And I, I, I think, I think he could be a valuable player. And I think if he plays with a little bit more edge like that, it'd be even, even more impressive, but um, there's no question. There's no question. There was guys around the league on their phones, on a plane, on a bus, <laughs> in the change room, post game going, Oh, he, they yeah. got him. They finally got him. <laughs> Yeah, sending the clips to each other. Like, oh yeah, oh, check yeah. this one out. Did you see this one? You know, I, uh, I I do wonder as always about Vegas, and I wonder about Edmonton. I mean, Ken Holland drafted them when he was with the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I even yep. think about the Detroit Red Wings themselves. Like, there's there's there's, there's a lot of teams that I wonder about when it comes to um, Anthony Mantha. How do you like? How do you look at Ottawa right now? Like, we've seen some really impressive performances by the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. I know it's like, all right, empty calorie games. Okay, should we be impressed? I guess so. Their wins, but. Um, do they really, you know, do they really count ultimately? How, how do you see the Ottawa Senators at this point? Well, I think they've traditionally done this right at the end of the year, empty calories started rattling yeah. off some wins, but I, I do, I do think that like, this is different for them. I do think it's way more like they're playing winning hockey instead of just winning hockey games, you know? So I think it's, yeah. I think it's a big difference in the way they're playing. I think they're more structured. I think they're, um, you know, relying on, you know, a, a system or concepts that are working for them right now, team wise, that I think is like building blocks heading into next season. I think it's really valuable. I think the hockey that they're playing right now is valuable to their future and the future of a lot of their young players to understand under Jacques Martin, what it takes to play winning hockey and, and what, what accountable team play hockey looks like in inside of their game. And you know what, their goaltenders get beat up all the time and, um, you know, and rightfully so, but like you got to play a certain style in front of them. And, and, you know, we did a game a while ago too, last Monday night, they were playing Tampa Bay and they just smothered Tampa Bay. They created turnovers. Their gaps were good. They had back pressure. Yeah. They're on top of guys. Like it was like totally winning hockey. And then they have enough skill to go in transition and quick strike or work you that way. So um, I, I think, I think this is, uh, I know they're out of it, but it's 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 not wasteful hockey that they're playing right now. And I think they're they're working towards mm-hmm. building a foundation that is super important to that group. Um, and whoever's going to be left, whatever their plan is moving forward, but super valuable to that group uh, and their leadership group of of what's the right way to play. And and I think they're playing winning hockey right now. Let me uh, let me finish up this conversation by asking you about Chris Chelios. Uh, you were in Atlanta um, when Chelios was there at the end of the career. Yeah. Uh, I always find it interesting that Chelios was paired with Bogosian, and the age difference between the two was 28 <laughs> yeah. years. A, a completely fully formed, grown adult uh, was in between yeah. them uh, by by way of age. Uh, any memories of of Chelios with the Atlanta Thrashers? We'll we'll finish there. I- well, he was, he was like bigger than life almost just so calm and cool. And he fits in, he fit in with us too. Like we had some younger guys, he hung out with Bogo and he was willing to come in yeah. and help, you know, teach guys and be around him. But uh, like coming out after games and like, you know, Owen Wilson and Michael Jordan are in town visiting. It's just like a different, it was like on another level. Um, mm. But he almost killed me one time. I did That's the cool. bike ride in the, I did the bike ride in the sauna thing. Um, oh no. Oh. Yeah, and I and I guess I was biking too hard in the sauna where I thought my heart was going to explode. So I was like, I, I thought that was the end of me. Uh, survived that. And then I remember the one time I got suspended, the only time I got suspended, I got a two-game suspension. I didn't get kicked out of the game. I got a penalty. Um, and later, remember, yeah. thank God I didn't get kicked out because I ended up scoring that game against Washington. But I elbowed a guy, reaching for him, stupid mm-hmm. thing to do. And I remember sitting in, in uh-huh. between intermissions and I was sitting there looking around and Chelly's sitting there and he looks at me and he's just like staring at me and I catch eyes with him and he makes like this little face and he holds up his fingers like like an like Italian move or something. And he just wiggles his fingers yeah. together like cash, cash, money, you know, that sign you wiggle your fingers together. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying, it's, it's gonna cost you. You're you're gonna get suspended for that one. <laughs> Nodding his head at me. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I was. It was in the middle of the game. It was at intermission. I'm like, oh, great. I'm gonna get suspended. Thanks, Kelly. Gives me the money symbol with his <laughs> fingers, Johnny. like Johnny Manziel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, that's the best. Listen, we'll watch for you tonight as part of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Thanks, pal. You'd be wild. Great. Listen, legit, great job with Mansbridge. That was phenomenal. Yeah, so so you. happy you got so to cool. do that. You did Appreciate a great it. job. Did a great job. That's awesome. There is uh, Colby Armstrong, part of Rogers Monday Night, Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight. Uh, the pregame gets underway at 6.30 Eastern with Hockey Central. Uh, your host is, of course, David Amber. It is the Ottawa Senators and the Washington Capitals. Puck drops just after 7 Eastern. Watch this one tonight on Sportsnet. Uh, let's get back on the Detroit Red Wings page. We've talked a lot about the Hawks and the Red Wings today, but how can you nod to seeing uh, what we saw yesterday? And the question becomes, you know, not only what's next for the Detroit Red Wings, um, they're playing great right now. Patrick Kane looks fantastic. Uh, but what does Eisman do here at uh, trade deadline? And is there a future with uh, Patrick Kane and the Detroit Red Wings? I know that Steve Eisman has always eh, been kind of hesitant to sign long-term deals to players in their 30s. But let's see. We'll talk to Kevin Allen coming up in a moment about the uh, latest edition and the new situations revolving the Detroit Red Wings. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Now, I don't know what it is about Detroit Red Wings players going back to the teams they're most associated with, bringing out emotion and at times tears. But two things jump to mind. One, 1975 and Ed Jockman, netminder, formerly the Rangers, then the Rangers, back in New York. Tears everywhere. And then the most recent... Patrick Kane yesterday, as his Detroit Red Wings beat the Chicago Blackhawks, much to the delight of Chicago Blackhawks fans. Jockerman was cheered as a Red Wing. Kane was cheered as a Red Wing last night. Kevin Allen from Detroit Hockey Now joins me to talk about Patrick Kane and the Detroit Red Wings and this marvelous streak that they're on right now, uh, all within a historical framework, Kevin Allen. How'd you like that little uh, reach back into 1975 history? Yeah, I really, really like it. I think it works well. I remember that uh, trade, uh, you know, living here in uh, Michigan. And uh, Eddie Jackman ended up settling here and actually bought and operated a bar that he had for many, many years here. After ah. that. So he was really embraced. Uh, and, of course, what Patrick Kane did, did it on the day that the Chicago Blackhawks retired uh, Chris Chelios' uh, number. And he was as beloved in uh, – uh, Detroit as he was in Chicago, even though I think everyone uh, accepted the fact that, you know, he was uh, always going to be a Blackhawk in his heart. But, um, but he actually, I think, played more, For one sure. more season in Detroit than he did in Chicago. Uh, Chelly's Chili, is that still in existence, Kevin? I, I, it's not here in Michigan. Um, it, uh, I, I don't know about Chicago. Um, um, but okay. I do know that uh, the one that was here in Michigan, uh, he closed up. Okay. Um, Patrick Kane, um, boy, uh, is he playing great right now for the Detroit Red Wings. And as much as, you know, I, I think the most impressive play on the Kane overtime winner against Colorado was Dylan Larkin and how he recognized and drew two Colorado players towards him, opening up Patrick Kane, uh, who then ended up scoring. Nonetheless, it's a Patrick Kane goal. And then yesterday, that was all about Kane on the breakaway and the deception of looking, you know, to his right and drawing eyes there. Like, it was vintage Patrick Kane. Like, what we're seeing right yeah. now is, I think, and, and this weekend really sort of planted the flag of anyone who is skeptical about how good Patrick Kane still is. I really think that yesterday, maybe this entire week, answered all those questions, agree or disagree. I completely agree. Um, I think the last time I was on here, we talked a little bit about 
he's just really raised the confidence level of this Red Wings team. Like, you know, when he's on the ice uh, for the power play or even five-on-five, I I think they just feel far more confident. They know they're going to gain the zone because he's such an excellent uh, stick handler. They know they're going to control the puck in the offensive zone because, you know, he's a great distributor and he can hang on to the puck and, uh, even in small spaces. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's such a confident, knowledgeable player. Like on the goal, the first overtime goal that he got uh, three days ago, uh, you know, he holds that puck for like a half, or, or he holds his position for a half second to allow Larkin to get deep. And then, you know, he moves into the slot area for the back pass, and he's in perfect position to score that goal. And just the, the poise and confidence he had coming in, like, I mean, he just looked like he was was going to score against uh, Morales, oh, yeah. and uh, and I think everyone just kind of said, like I, I think everybody just knew he was going to score, and he just has that way about yeah. him, and it, it goes from uh, hoping to expecting for Detroit. Like when they're behind now, and you know they just hope they could catch up. Now they expect to, they expect to catch up, and it's and it's been contagious, like. Uh, uh, you know, every day there's been a new guy stepping up. They've got 12 guys with 10 or more goals. And, uh, you know, they're suddenly in the top five. They've been there all season in terms of scoring. And, you know, defense certainly wins in the postseason. But to get to the playoffs, you got to score a lot of goals. And Detroit's scoring a lot. You know, I was having a, a conversation at the beginning of the season about Patrick Kane and the Detroit Red Wings with someone, and this person brought up a really good point. I'd, I'd kind of like to explore this relationship with you, if we could. Um, this person said, you know, there are a lot of teams that will say they want Patrick Kane, but they really don't because they're not built to have a veteran like Patrick Kane who comes in with a lot of experience and a lot of ideas and the ability to challenge coaches and he said Detroit's a Detroit's a good choice because that's something that Derek Lalone cherishes where other coaches you know might just want the veterans who are like yeah you know what I got a couple more paychecks and then I'm gonna call it a career I'm not here to rock the boat there's only like a certain amount of coaches that would with open arms bring in someone who would just to be blunt have the ability to challenge a coach on a day-in, day-out basis. How would you describe the relationship? Because I really think this is a feather in the loan's cap here. How would you describe the relationship between the coach and the player here, between Newsy and Showtime? Well, I, I think uh, Lalone has um, a lot of respect for Kane and what he's accomplished. And I think the fact that uh, Lalone came from Tampa Bay where they had a lot of success and they had a lot of premium players and you know, uh, Cooper there uh, made it a habit of sort of uh, tapping into the uh, uh, what the players uh, kind of felt was happening with the team, and I think Cologne does the same thing. And to have a guy like Kane who's been through it all before and, and, and really, and this is the key point, understands why uh, he's been on successful teams. Like he, he sort of, uh, you know, it's one thing to play on a good team. It's another thing to sort of understand why you're successful. And he does. He's uh, very much a student of the game. Mm-hmm. He understands how power plays work. He understands uh, what needs to be accomplished. And um, I think he's helped um, get the players into the buy-in on uh, the way that Malone is coaching. And I, I think it's been a two-way street. I think you're absolutely right. Like he's not timid about saying, you know, I think if we did this, this might be better for us. And yep. um, I think they've given him license to kill in terms of uh, what he wants to do on the power play um, because, he, you know, he will rotate from side to side sometimes and he'll move up top. Uh, and I think they allow him to freelance uh, because he is showtime and he has proven that he, you know, he can hang on to the puck. And that's just crucial. Like uh, that was a shortcoming of this team for the last several years is, you know, losing the puck, not being able to gain the zone. And uh, he always gains the zone. Like, I bet he's bad uh, (laughs) 85% uh, in terms of getting the puck in the zone uh, and then, you know, being able to set it up in the offensive zone. This uh, Red Wings team has won five games in a row. Uh, Some of these games have been quite spectacular. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, I think it's starting to dawn on everybody here, if it hasn't already, 
um, is most likely going to be in the playoffs uh come uh, uh come april like what is that gonna like what what's what's the city gonna do with this i'm curious about it. i mean you're plugged into fans like how does this go over like I, I know it's been a lot of years of of not winning and no playoffs and the shiny new building they can't show off when the uh, when, when the games really matter like what's this gonna mean for detroit to, to finally be back in the postseason where very much it looks like the red wings are going to end up well, I think you got to look at what happened recently with the Detroit Lions to kind of understand where fans are at. I mean, um, you know, in yeah. my lifetime, uh, 68 years, the Lions won one playoff game, and then they just won twice in the, in the recent playoffs and really yeah. felt like they were going to win a third. So the fan base now in Detroit um, has raised its expectations, and I think it's almost been – uh, contagious in terms of the fan uh, euphoria. Like all of a sudden now you're starting to feel people talking a little bit more about hockey. And it really feels now like they have turned the corner. And, you know, as their record grows, I think that's the key thing. They look at that record now and, uh, you know, they've won 15 games since the start of the year and they have the uh, league's second best record since the uh, the start of uh, 2024. So all of that has sort of got the, the fans believing, hey, you know, th- this is for real. And the other thing, too, is Alex Lyon, like, uh, has been so impressive that yes. the Red Wing fan base yes. suddenly believes they have all the elements. Like, they have the goaltending, which they haven't had in the, in the last few years. And they're, they're starting to, but there's been a commitment to defense, like Ben Sherratt and, and Jeff Petrie, two guys that, uh, were the subject of much criticism. Um, uh, Petrie not in Detroit last year, but Sherratt was in Detroit. I mean, but both of them have, you know, people have said, well, they, you know, they, uh, um, you can do better, but not this year. Like that, that tandem has been very good. Um, and of course, you mm-hmm. you've got more most side are already there, and Mata has played well of late. So suddenly their defense looks good. So all of that sort of adds up, and I think the. You know, before they were just trying to get in the playoffs. Now you hear fans actually saying, "What well, could we win around? Is this possible?" Um, and I, I think some of them have started to believe they could. I'll tell you what: if you're a player around the NHL and your team's not going to make the playoffs. Uh, you hope that the big ticket teams and the big revenue drivers do make the playoffs and go if, on a deep run. So your escrow uh, gets lowered because there'd be more, obviously more more money in the system, yeah. uh, more hockey related revenue. And I think that is a uh, like listen. I know that it may be distasteful for some to say that the NHL is better when Toronto and New York have significant runs, but I would throw the Red Wings into that mix too. Like the NHL as a as a business is healthier. When teams like the Detroit Red Wings make the playoffs and and go for a run, Kevin, that's a obvious statement number two thousand for me on this day. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, Toronto and New York can charge a lot of money for a playoff game, and just like you said, that yep. that grows the revenue, which is good for um, you know players because uh, they get a percentage of that revenue. And Detroit, while they may not be New York uh, or Toronto in terms of uh, being able to. Uh, ask uh, a lot for ticket prices. Uh, you know, they can ask a lot more than, uh, you know, the Columbuses and the Carolinas and, and some of those where it's a little bit harder to get that big uh, uh, ticket price out there. So uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, it's been a while. I mean, you know, this uh, this would be their first playoff trip in eight years. And that's for a team that made it, you know, 25 consecutive years. Um, that's been hard on uh, fans here. Let me uh, let me finish on this one. It, it, it seems very much as if, and this stretches back two summers, not just last summer, that the um, the word has come down that this rebuild is nice, uh, and we have some nice pieces for the future. But we need players now because we need playoffs now. Is that accurate to your to the best of your information? Yeah, I, well, I don't know that it's kind of come down, but I think there's been a frustration level from Steve Eisenman that it's taken so long. And I like to kind of remind people, too, that, you know, this team, you know, there's only three, you know, like prospects really on this team. You know, there's Joe Valeno, who uh, yeah. uh, wasn't drafted by Eisenman, but, you know, it's really Raymond. Um, and Cider are the, the two guys. Like, like uh, Eisenman's guys aren't here yet in terms of that. But all of these guys he's added, you know, he's uh, you know trading for Debrincat, signing Patrick Kane, 
uh, Sprong. And, yep. you know, Eisenman's a big part of that. Like, that's part of the lure here. You know, Eisenman gets you on the phone, and, uh, you know, like he did a hard sell, I think, on on Patrick Kane. And, uh, you know, I, I think those guys talk. I think uh, Steve Eisenman has made it clear he'd like to resign him. But uh, so the rebuild, it, it's almost been a retool thus far more than a rebuild. It's it's going to be a rebuild because they got a lot of good prospects coming. But there's only three guys. Like yeah. the rest of the turnover of this team have just been guys that Eisenman has plucked from here and there and kind of plugged in. And then, you know, Larkin's been here for a long time. And uh, uh, so it's it's interesting. This is, a, a you know, not quite what people envisioned. Uh, when the rebuild started uh, about what this team was going to look like. I think they thought there was going to be like seven or eight or nine players that had, would be drafted by yeah. Eisenman, but that's really <laughs> not the case thus far. Hasn't hasn't happened yet, but uh, Red Wings are in a really nice spot here now. Uh, listen, Kevin, thanks as always for stopping by and sharing your expertise on the Red Wings. It's, it's much appreciated. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. There is uh, the great Kevin Allen uh, talking about the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it'll be great seeing playoff hockey. Um, back in Detroit, Kevin, of course, writes for Detroit Hockey Now. Uh, four games on the go around the NHL this evening. You can watch a couple of them on Rogers Sportsnet. Uh, most notably, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, the Ottawa Senators facing off against the Washington Capitals. Also later, it is the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers. Thanks to everyone that took part today. You just heard from Kevin Allen, before him, Kobe Armstrong, Mark Lazarus, and Elliot Friedman. Thanks to our crew, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, the great Jen Rolnick. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The program returns in 22 hours across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the hockey tonight. Back tomorrow.